One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello everyone, we're back again. It is Tuesday, which of course means it's the Inside Arsenal Extra time. Now, if you've already had one helping of me today, now I'm back with James Benj, of course. Now, James, you were sitting in a press box on Sunday, (laughs) so I think you're going to have to take most of the lead in this because my voice is still struggling a lot. And I can just about get through 20 minutes, but an extended show of about an hour, I think by the end of this, I'm going to be struggling with my throat. Such was the uh, exuberant celebrations, shall we say, <laughs> and the amount of pints that were drunk on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, you might have to take, take the lead on this a little bit. But what, what a day. What a day. Well, actually, first of all, welcome to the show. How are you doing, James? I'm, I am great. And look, if there's any day to justify double Arsenal YouTube content or podcast or whatever it is, uh, it's a day like today. Still in that hazy afterglow. Um I was certainly hungover yesterday and uh, I'm supposed to be a professional. Um, but then again, you know, I mean, your voice might be ruined as well. But the uh, the lads in the uh, the Manchester City employees in the press box on Sunday, their voices must be pretty sore as well from the amount of times they were shouting offside whenever an Arsenal player touched the ball in the uh, City half. So, um, yes, yeah, so they were, you had, you were sitting next to Kaya, weren't you, from Football London and you had the joys sins. of... The Manchester City analyst. Sometimes people who are, don't know this. Sometimes in press boxes, clubs will take up some space in the press box with like various analysts who sit there with their laptops, sort of analysing the game and all that sort of stuff, and getting the stats of the game. And a lot of times you see it, this sort of thing happening. And on a, on Sunday, you had a fair few of the, the Man City boys in front of you. Yeah, like a whole row behind us. And I mean, it's it's very strange because even though you know, let's call a spade a spade. A lot of the sort of people in there especially the Arsenal beat writers a lot of them are Arsenal fans and on occasions like an 86 minute wonder goal from Gabriel Martinelli where he deftly deflects the ball off Nathan Ake's face into the net deliberately it's hard not to be uh you know it's hard not a little punch of the air and it's even harder when yeah the Man City staff behind you who you know as the analysts you sort of think 
that they're going to be all very, you know, dour and really focused on it, you know, not too emotional about it, really focused on cutting up graphs and doing data and all that. No, they are. And every time that we have them in the press box, you're in, you're in a different ground and they're there. You've never seen such a bunch of one-eyed, um, you know, it is like being sat among the ultras in the, in the home end or whatever. They are so obsessed with refereeing decisions and with uh, how Mateo Kovacic was it's not even a foul, the second one. What are you doing, Raf? Uh, I think I heard from one of them. So, <laughs> it, you know, it makes that sort of secret joy that you may or may not have uh, that little bit sweeter when you know there are people behind you absolutely raging at what has just happened. Yeah, I don't know what it is about analysts, but they do get very, very carried away. I mean, <laughs> not just opposition. I remember being at like Southampton when I think Miguel Molina, one of the Arsenal or a couple of the Arsenal guys were sitting just to our left in the press box. And honestly, they've gone absolutely mental for the entire game. They just do cannot rein it in. I don't know what it is about analysts. And of course, who could forget that glorious day at Villa Park when uh, Molina and who was it? Who was a Villa analyst? Victor, Victor Manas, a former oh. Arsenal employee. Victor Manas, of course, from Unai Emery stuff. Had a fight behind us. When, um, was, it, was it after the Jorginho's goal? Yeah, it was after the, the, yeah, the Emmy Martinez own goal. Um, yeah. And I think as ever, there's this sort of, it's good to see someone policing it. There is this sort of press box etiquette of you must not over-celebrate. It's just so amazing how petty these sort of professionals get about it because then you see it on the pitch, don't you, where Man City are upset. Man City players are upset that Nicholas Jova didn't shake their hand last yeah. season. So they're not going to shake his hand. You'd like... You're just a brilliant sort of story. <laughs> adults. We're all supposed to be adults in the room. Um, and then, yeah, like, you know, as a, I don't want to say that, you know, journalists are morally superior. You know, people can think that if they want. But you do, you know, you do have this like press box decorum of like, and you look around it. You're always looking around at the analysts, going, "Sorry, lads, we don't, we don't do that here." Um, but actually, I have to say, at Villa Park, you and I and a few others from the travelling Arsenal pack, we might have done our best to ex- express shock. We did through the medium celebration. It's like, oh yeah, oh wow, what was that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> we did celebrate that one. We were celebrating Gabby Martinelli's goal as well, like he was before he even rolled that one into the net. There's yeah. been a few occasions. Reese Nelson against Bournemouth. I totally lost it in that one. And uh, weirdly, Nacho Monreal, when he scored against City in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley, when he made it 1-1 from Rambo's cross. When we, and I was in the Man City end there. You know, there's two press boxes at Wembley. And I remember, because that was so unexpected. We'd gone 1-0 down. I was just like, right, we've lost. And then out of nowhere, suddenly Nacho arrives at a back stick and volleys in to make it 1-1. And I totally lost it then. <laughs> oh, and, and there would, it would have been all those sort of august uh, chief football correspondents around. Yeah, I just, hate it. Yeah, honestly, they all looked all look down. All look, and actually at the, um, at the Mastaya, at Bamiyang's hat-trick at the Mastaya, that was uh, another one where that was very hard to keep control. And those, but yeah, entertaining nonetheless. But look, what we are now, five minutes from even talking about press box stories. Um, let's talk about the game shall we we've got plenty to talk about today we're going to we're going to of course talk about some of the big talking points from the game get your views on it um William Saliba Gabrielle been in the headlines I did a show this morning talking about how you know 54 million pounds for those two which is just a masterstroke of um scouting and recruitment there Um, so we'll talk about those and we're going to tie that into a little discussion about Arsenal's best post invincibles Signings. Now we've both sort of picked a few. We don't know what each other have mm. chosen for this. There might be some crossover, of course. So we'll go through that. We'll each throw out a few names 
that. We've got lots of questions and comments that we're going to discuss as well. So probably in the second half of the show, Bukai Saka and his ongoing injury, we'll talk about that. So plenty to get stuck into. But of course, got to start with um, the weekend and what a game it was, what a moment it was. Well, actually, I say what a game. It, it was a it was a really interesting game. I mm. thought it was an intriguing game. And I was in the stands, obviously, as a fan. And I'd had a fair few beers. And uh, so it wasn't like I was sitting in the press box sort of analysing it all in my sort of professional form that I would have been doing. But I still thought it was a really intriguing, intense game. How did it come across from you sitting in the press box while you're sort of trying to cover it as a, you know, not with your fan hat on, but as your report hat? What, what, sort of, what were you thinking as the game was progressing in terms of the quality of it all? I like the word intensity there because it felt like a game where the stakes were continually ratcheting up and the tension was was just spectacular. I mean, it, you felt the tension. I felt more in the first half from the Emirates. Not it wasn't just you know everyone says this was about the David Raya kick, free goal kicks and passes, but everything, every moment, like asked the Emirates was a little bit quiet, but it wasn't the sort of you know we're not happy quietness. It was just. Felt like a lot of fans chewing on their fingernails and whatever else they do when they're stressed. Um, and, you know, Erdegaard, uh, Arteta, um, everyone was sort of trying to G them up. But it just felt like they couldn't get out of this bubble of tension. I am, I'm sure that if you don't have a rooting interest, you would have hoped for a more open contest. But I did think it was quite interesting. You know, there were so many little moments where Arsenal or City would wax and wane um great start to the second half by Arsenal then City for a while just looked like they're getting in that you know grit and grind will will blitz will 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 blitz you into submission eventually stage and then obviously you know I don't whether you're a neutral or not I, I don't see how you and whether you're watching on TV or in the stands I don't see how you couldn't have sort of been taken away by the the sheer joy of of that last 10 minutes for for Arsenal supporters in the Emirates Stadium. It was, as an atmosphere, it was, and we've seen some great atmospheres at the Emirates this season. And you can, I'm sure, talk to this better than me, but it was really, really, really up there with the best. I thought it was more, it was bigger than the United game. I think um, Bournemouth is always maybe the impossible standard that all Emirates games are going to be assessed against. But I don't know what you thought, but I thought this, those last 10 minutes and certainly the final whistle biggest atmosphere of the season hmm was it bigger than the united gate i think it probably, everyone had left for united didn't they? yeah i think it probably i think the utter joy of jesus's goal in the united one you know when you've already made it 2-1 and you're still celebrating mm. and well, he goes through and makes it 3-1 just to put the sort of cherry on the cake that was that was just brilliant this one it was little it was that sort of explosion and release of tension and joy of like I think we'd all settled at that point for nil nil and a draw and thinking like we I was standing there talking to my dad the guys around us and we we're like oh, draw's not the worst result you know I'll, I'll take mm. it at least it, it ends this run against them and so you'd kind of made peace of it being nil nil with the way the game was panning out and then all of a sudden bang you've scored and you know the do you see that clip that's doing around? I posted it on Twitter today. Someone had done it. It's that sort of really sort of HD clip of everyone heading over to the North Bank. It's just a really short clip, about five, six seconds. And just the limbs in the North Bank behind the players as they're running over. And you see Saliba setting off on one of his mad celebration runs to sort of get over to the team. And you look in the crowd and it you know, it looks like it's all, you know, it's, it's not an all-seater stadium. It's one of those just 
people falling all over the place. It was an incredible celebration. It, it really, really was. And, you know, it was one of those ones when, you know, I'm just, you're just hugging absolutely everyone around you. And, yeah. But I love that period from the goal until the full-time whistle when it's just, you're in that zone of every clearance is huge, everything, and it's just the noise and the build-up of counting down to the full-time whistle, knowing you've got this lead to protect. It was just an incredible, like you said, the last 10 minutes was just... And, the, and there was that thing, wasn't there, of like you had the tension of, it's, you know, the moment, the city, it's going to come. Something's going to, city going to do something here. Like there's going to be, you know, a shot, mm. Harland, you know, every time the ball goes in the final third, you could feel like the stadium stopped breathing except Saliba, Gabriel, Rice, Tommy, uh, those guys who were just like, yeah, what are you worried about? And you just look, in the 94th it. minute, you just sort of, every, or like the 93rd minute, everyone was sort of looking around going, we done it. You know, before it was over, you sort of got this, like two minutes maybe before you were like, this is going to happen. Like mm. they've, they've got it in the bag. Like they saw, it, they saw it out so well, didn't they? There was a time like Havertz, so well. Havertz holding the ball up down in the corner or taking it down to the corner. I think Jesus did it at some point. They just, they really did. It was comfortable. wasn't, there was no Alamo. There was no siege in those last few minutes. It was just, it was really controlled. And that kind of summed up the whole performance, to be fair. It was just the way they nullified it. I mean, you had, some huge, huge performances from from players. I mean, Declan Rice was... I kind of run out of words to describe Declan Rice at the moment because I'm saying the same thing pretty much every single game. He's just ridiculously, ridiculously good. And he was brilliant in that game, especially in the second half. I just thought City just couldn't get past him. And then when they got past him, they ran into Saliba and Gabriel. It was just that spine of the Arsenal team it was just a real statement, I think. And it's kind of what we've been leading up to this season. The whole, you know, Arteta wanting control, wanting to, his team to be able to strangle the life out of games, not be in any sort of trouble. You know, at times they've done that this season, but then they've done something stupid and they've just given mm. away a goal. They've let a team back into it. There was no sign of that. But albeit there was only sort of six or seven minutes to see out. The way they did it, I thought was really, really impressive. It's phenomenal. And it starts at the very top of the pitch. Um, the work that the front three, uh, especially in the second half, so when Martinelli comes on and, you know, even in Ketia, who I know has a lot of, we've got questions about his his future in the 11, but just the, the work of chasing back down the flanks, putting the pressure on Bernardo Silva if you're in Ketia, if you're Gabriel Jesus, so you could tell he doesn't have these great, defensive instincts when the ball's in his own half but every time you'd sort of look up and he'd be the right wing back because Guardiola is, is become City's only outlet that midfield three as well Erdegaard just when he got the ball down you've got a minute of, of possession you've just got time he was so good as well I thought moving out moving around so that Raya had I haven't I haven't seen the numbers but I feel like a lot of Raya's passes once he got into the groove were going to Erdegaard who'd moved into space Jorginho, um, when I, you know, about it was about 20 minutes in, everyone was obviously talked about, didn't they, the Kovacic thing and, oh, actually, you know, the, what's going to happen here is Jorginho is going to get sent off. And you're just looking at Jorginho and I was like, no, this guy knows he's not getting sent off. He is, he's just like, yeah, I'm on a yellow card against City. 
what of it? I'm not bothered. It just oozes authority and class. And he was the one that I was really like, I was really quite worried. I, I'm not his biggest fan because I just think he's a little too slow. But on days like that, I have to sort of hold my hands up and go, sometimes you don't know what you're talking about, mate. doesn't matter what his pace is because he's reading the game so well that he's already where he needs to be. And I thought that was so apparent in mm-hmm. the box. I don't want to talk about Rice, Saliba and, and Gabriel because uh, I'm, I'm out of superlatives for those yeah. three. Um, they are brilliant. They are, that is a... Next, you know, that is the next five years sorted. It's uh, those two for me, it's a it, it's beyond Murtasaka and Kashelny already with Gabriel and Saliba. It is, and it's it, it's knowing that you've got you could have them for four or five years together. I mean, Ooh. I saw <laughs> I was really enjoying what I was saying. You were, um, so I mean, you saw he saw the tweets, and I, I just wonder if Saliba's already the best defender in the world, best center back in the world, and. Arsenal have not had the best player in the world in their position for a really long time. And if Saliba isn't now, he's going to be soon. Um, I could could go on about everyone. Uh, Ben White, my favourite moment though, and I'll finish on this, my favourite moment was the most cavalier, Alexander Zinchenko tackling Doku right just like inches into his own penalty area. And you're like, Alex, what are you doing? Don't tackle there. Like tackle him a yard out or don't do it. But it's just that day, isn't it, where... Arsenal are totally in the groove. Uh, yeah. It was a perfect tackle. Um, ben White, ben, what, ben White, nutmegging Doku right in front of me was very with a lot of fun. Oh yeah, that well. was good. <laughs> and drifting inside, it was just that was kind of all of the. That was just when Arsenal. I think that was after it was one 0 wasn't it? When Ben White yeah. did that, I think, and it was just just kind of summed up those last few minutes where every, everything they did worked out. It was just absolutely perfect. I, yeah, I think you definitely don't know what you're talking about when you talk about Jorginho because yeah. <laughs> I think I think he's been. I think he's been an absolutely brilliant signing for Arsenal. I, he's just, yes, I mean, I was, he made the mistake against Tottenham, but that happens. It happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just one individual mistake in a, in, a, in a game. But aside from that, he's barely put a foot wrong since he's come into the Arsenal team. In every game, like I said, I did a video on the morning of the City game. And I said that if Thomas Partey was not was deemed not fit, that Jorginho would be a really sensible choice to play in that in that role with Party playing with uh, Rice playing further ahead. So I was I was actually quite, quite happy when I saw that starting lineup. And you know, in all these games, these big games, the sort of question about his lack of pace, his lack of mobility, that was something I definitely had in my mind last season. But then I just remember the game at St James's Park at the end of last season, and that's yeah, it just took away that fear of me. I just thought, you know what, it's not even something to worry about. He's that good. He reads the game so well that it just doesn't. It just doesn't really matter. He's, and he's just still top. Of, I think he's been a fantastic signing. He's the third choice in his position. He's an absolute embarrassment of riches. That is. If 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 Pep had him in his squad, there is no way he'd have named that team. You know, he would have started for mm. for City on Sunday. Um, he would start over Casemiro. He would start over. Uh, whoever Liverpool have, you know, he would be a starter for a lot of these big six teams. Yeah, Liverpool, had, Liverpool had McAllister playing as a six against Brighton, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, and I think it's been brilliant. I really do. So I, I do not know what I'm talking about with Jorginho. I agree. <laughs> yes, I'm I gonna... still think Kante should have won the, um, or, or Kante should have got all the Ballon d'Or votes over him. But that was, you, that, was that after the Euros? Was after yes, the Euros, after the Euros. Yeah, he didn't win it though, did he? No, that was when there was a clamour for Jorginho should win it, but he didn't win yeah. it, did he? No, he came second. He came when second. Kante should have won it. Yeah, who won it that year? I want to say Lewandowski or was it Modric? 
One of those two. It was yeah. it was sort of the non Messi Ronaldo period. Yeah. That was year Chelsea won the Champions League and the Euros. Yeah, so so Jorginho almost gets Euros. it for attendance. Yeah, <laughs> he did, but yeah, I never bought into the fact that he, should yeah. got he, he was. He was. But, I mean, you know, second place in the Ballon d'Or, and he's Arsenal's third choice DM. It's not bad. Yeah, it, that is a real embarrassment of riches for for Mikel. He's got such he's got such options there. I mean, you forget Mohamed on any as well, of course. You can't forget Mohamed on any. Mark Man Bryan of the pyramids. Yeah, There's actually got, someone had not only an El Neni shirt in front of us in the press box, but he had El Neni four, which I think is a sort of one season wonder. And I love the idea that presumably that person was a massive El Neni fan and was like, "Yeah, this Mohamed El Neni is Arsenal's number four in the lineage of Patrick Vieira and Cesc Fabregas. That's not lasting long. I should get this shirt while I can." Yeah, fair play to him. Fair play to him. Right, let's talk about then um, Arsenal's best signings since the invincibles era because there's been lots of talk about Saliba obviously and Gabriel um sort of following Sunday's game and how good they were and you know justifiably so they were brilliant the pair of them and I, and I spent today's show talk waxing lyrical about them this morning I just think that if there's a better centre-back partnership in Europe right now I don't know and I, I, I yeah I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know what it would be I, I really don't want to, and the fact that they're 22 and 25 it's just for Arsenal it's just such a fantastic thing they both signed up to long-term contracts as well it's just it's just brilliant my favorite moment barring the goal uh against City was when Saliba just bodied Haaland yeah, out of it when Haaland made that run and you know, is there another defender who could have done that I don't, I don't Gabriel. know in the Premier League this season. Maybe Gabriel. I'm not sure Gabriel would have had the recovery pace to no, keep true. up with that run because Harlan was off. You know, that was full tilt Harlan that was on that run and just left him with the heat on the floor. It was just, it was such a statement that from Saliba early on in that first half. It really, really was. Um, and he's right up there. I mean, you, you, you look at it now since the post-Invincibles. Now, we were originally going to have this discussion sort of going back to the George Graham era. So, obviously, we could have had Ian Wright. Thierry, Dennis, all that, all that lot. But we've decided to have a sort of discussion on the best signings from the moment the Invincibles era ended. So I presume that's from when the title was lifted. Are we saying sort of 2004 onwards? Yeah. So I, so it also means we can sort of leave out Cesc Fabregas. Yeah, which Cesc was, was kind of a deliberate thing on, because you just we start. I start. We started doing that, and then you sort of go, "Oh yeah, Colo, yeah. 250 grand." And then they'll for the training right. ground and Henri. And it's sort of like, yeah, Arsene, you've ruined this for us. So um yeah. like when he's got to when he's got that sort of period. So when, when we mean, turn rubbish, when, when we turn rubbish, basically, we'll go from yeah. we'll go from when we turn rubbish. And I'll be honest, there's not met there's not many from like immediately after the invincibles no, when the banner is rubbish. The the, the beginning more analytical than me then if you you've gone in order. Let's let's go you go one at a time though. So let's yeah. we'll see if we have any crossover in this. It's it's Saliba in yours. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I've got two. I've got two of the current team in mind. I have two of the current team in mind as well. I think so we I... bet we have the same two. <laughs> we do have the same right. But I could. Down. I mean, I could pick loads. Um, so in my, in my fifth place, and it's, I don't really want to spend long talking about him because of how it all ended. But uh, Koscielny, ten million pounds in twenty ten, uh, and you've got uh, nearly a decade of service out of him. The lows were low, but like there were a lot of highs. It's just it's not very exciting talking about Lauren Koscielny. So we can we can think over that one if you want. Okay. You know, okay, I'll go with mine on... Uh, I'm not going to number them, I don't think, because... That's fine. It's, Actually, you know, no, I will. You know what? I will number them. So my number five is Santi Cazorla, because he's just an absolute genius who I enjoyed watching more than pretty much any other player during that time, or in fact, more than any other player, I think, during that time. And um, 
was so unlucky. If he hadn't got injured, I'm convinced Arsenal would have won the title during yeah. his time as well. And just a, a magical, magical footballer. So I'll go. Bit seven. of a bargain as well. It was 10 a million. Well, they took advantage of um, it was Malaga, wasn't it? When they sort of they they ran into financial troubles, didn't they? And it was a yeah, we took full advantage and got him for just about 10 mil, wasn't it? Yeah. And even that one felt like it's sort of like, oh, we're having a bit of a, a punt here on a player we don't necessarily need, but Arsenal's going to love and. Um, Boy, did we all love him. First player I ever interviewed. Was uh, he? He gave a very good quote, which is no great surprise. Um, <laughs> my number four, and like I could have him higher, but there's some, the, the ones above him are, are good deals as well. And for a while, I mean, this is now a great deal, but for a while it felt like it wasn't. Um, is Saliba, 27 million pounds. I think we sort of forget like for even, even when he was more of an unknown there was all these conversations about Arsenal needing to replace Koscielny and they did that on the cheap with David Luiz. And I think there was some who would say, why have you spent all this money on someone you're not ready to use at all? Um, and it would obviously be three years, three years before we kind of see him take to the pitch. But um, of all the players I'm going to list here, and I've just said it back there, I think Saliba at the very least has the potential to be the best player in the world in his position. Um, and, you know, you don't sign players like that more than once in a generation. I mean, uh, you know, the the last time you would say that about an Arsenal signing is probably Thierry Henry, or it's around that period, unless you're very, I mean, you know, Sesk was just at the wrong time. So that 27 million now, uh, if you put a one in front of it, Arsenal are probably still hanging up the phone uh, if you try and sign Saliba. He is... He's just everything you want in a centre-back and kind of like Van Dyke for Liverpool. He has just changed. And, you know, with help of Gabriel, but he is just like the ceiling has shot up because of Saliba. Absolutely. Okay, you know who's my number four? Is it Saliba? No. Mikel Arteta. He was He was in my contenders. He is mainly more for what he's doing now than what he's going to say. Player. <laughs> but had Arsenal not made that signing... He wouldn't now be probably might not now be manager, or probably definitely wouldn't now be manager, and have helped sort of move us away from the banter era type era and get us back challenging to where Arsenal should be challenging. He was very good as a player. He was a very captain. Good won the FA Cup, lifted the FA Cup, but also now as a manager. So I've maybe slightly controversially gone with Arteta because of that, more from what he's done as a manager than the player. But I think because of that, he just sneaks into my top five. I mean, I. I, I really like that. And he was like on my long list. I mean, as a player as well, like remember that goal against City? I think that was the last time Arsenal kept City goalless in the first half of a game, something like that. Yeah. And um, then that goal was in the same minute that Gabriel Martinelli scored on Sunday. Oh, he's done that on purpose, hasn't he? He's done it again. Uh, my third, we've talked about him briefly. One of my favourite players ever to wear an Arsenal shirt uh, is Andy Cazola. Just love the guy. Um, yeah. Get him, get him back. Give him a testimonial, please. Just have him around. Just bring him on for the Emirates Cup season, Bring him on for the Emirates Cup. I mean, honestly, if something like happens to a few midfielders, bring him in. I'd love him. <laughs> He's doing sort of Oviedo at the moment, isn't he? Playing yeah. second tier, yeah. Oh, mate, I bet he's so much fun to watch in like, the lovely... So I saw a tweet at the weekend. Someone went and they said on their tweet, Santi Cazorla is still a ridiculously good footballer. <laughs> yes! The most two-footed player I've ever seen. Yeah. He is right up there. What a player. What a player. So he was, num- he was your number three. So if you got you had Saliba for 
Koscielny at five. I didn't even like... You know who I should have picked? I should have had Bellerin, but rubbish ending, wasn't it? Yeah, not the best of not the best of endings. I'm, still, I'm in an R in here because I've got six players in front of me that I'm looking at and I'm trying to think, do I leave? Who do I leave out of these? Because I hadn't listed it in five. Um, okay, my number three is Gabriel Martinelli. I would say an absolute bargain plucked from... It's not even the second division over in Brazil, is it? It was like the... Fourth. Of, yeah, it was a fourth. And it was a... Eight football league. Yeah, just what a um, what a signing! What a player he's turned into in such a short space of time, from you know some Brazilian teenager none of us had heard of to a genuine world star already. Maybe gets slightly overlooked because of what Bukayo Saka's doing on the other side, but um, just a brilliant, fantastic signing. So I think Gabby. I, I think if you went back and sort of asked Francis Kajigao and uh, and all the guys that were signing him then, you know, where will he be on October the tenth? 2023 on loan maybe like a you know the good the final loan before he comes into the first team uh fringes of the squad i mean like the work and obviously they saw that you know they knew what the ceiling was and that he could get to this level but like god no one no i mean that summer everyone was telling us yeah he's for the 23s you won't see mm. him for years and then like emery in game one is like this guy's really good i better play him <laughs> love that guy He's my number two, by the way. So uh, that, that we're rattling through these. Yeah, he's second on my list. Oh, he's your number two, is he? He's your number two. Okay, very my number... close to being my number one. My number. I'm two. worried that I've forgotten someone. See, I'm I'm not going to have Martin Odegaard in my top five. And the more I'm I'm looking at his name on this list, I'm thinking I should probably have Martin Odegaard on that list. Thirty million pounds, one absolute bargain. But I'm not putting him on. Um, I probably should have maybe linked him with I don't know someone else. But yeah, so Odegaard's not going. There. So my number. Am I up to number two? I am up to number yeah, two. Yeah, you're up to number two. My number two is um, William Saliba. Mm. Um, close to being my number one. Just a fabulous player. Fabulous player who is just going to get better and better. Like you said, has the potential to be the best centre-back in the world. If he's not, well, I think he's definitely in the shout already, mm. um, in the mix already. But, um, you know, give it another couple of years. If he continues to progress the way he's playing, there's, there's going to be no better defender in the world than, than William Saliba. So he is my number two. So we must have the same number one, right? I don't know. Aaron Ramsey? Yep. Hey! <laughs> it's Aaron Just Ramsey. Like, what a, like, you look back on that, what a signing. I mean, I, I thought in my head, like when I was checking this, I was like, well, we played like 15 million for him, didn't we? And uh, yeah, it was a, and just five million pounds stealing him. I mean, he gets bonus points, doesn't he, for the, the Man United announcement? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, uh, two FA Cup final winners I, I mean the strange thing with Ramsey and I think maybe it's typical of that 2008 to the end of Wenger's tenure that era is I still feel like Arsenal got 80 to 85% of what they could from Ramsey um, I mean like still his best moments as an Arsenal player was Euro 2016 wasn't it with Wales I always felt like you know it, it was you always had to move him around for someone else and it was the right thing to do because you've got to get Urzel and Kazola and Sanchez into one team but I mean two FA Cup final winners and I know they mean to, a lot to you um yeah just 
sensational footballer. Uh, another who, even though I don't think he can get in the Cardiff team, so maybe it would be an emotional decision. But if he wants to come back to train for a while, uh, I'll drive him to Colney myself. Yeah, yeah, I think it's got to be, for, for me, like, just how much he cost, an absolute bargain, when I think he's a top-scoring midfielder ever, to, central midfielder ever to play for Arsenal. Some mad stat mm-hmm. like that, um, either definitely in the Premier League era, but maybe he's up there of all time, isn't he, in terms of central midfield so. goal scorers for Arsenal. Um, like I said, two FA Cup final winners, 2014, my favourite, possibly my favourite Arsenal goal ever, the final against Hull in terms of what it meant. It's uh, yeah. For me, it had to be had to be Aaron, but I do feel like Martin Odegaard is definitely needs to be in there. Nearly thirty million pounds, but give it another season potentially. I mean, the same price as Saliba, isn't he? And then you're looking at what Odegaard's doing and what Saliba's doing. It's like it's hard to have Saliba in there and not Odegaard. It seems very very similar in timings wise. You'd have a competitive top five of just the best Arteta signings. Um, well, we haven't we haven't got Gabriel in there. <laughs> you know, we've got William Saliba Gabby. in there. Gabriel Saliba's in there. Gabriel probably should be in there as well, right? I mean, they're, they almost come as a partnership now. Well, they do come as a partnership. And it's, it's Saliba get It's kind of similar with Saka and Martinelli, isn't it? Saliba gets a lot of the headlines when Gabriel mm. potentially doesn't. And it almost feels a little bit unfair at times because what Gabriel's doing equally as important as, as what William Saliba's doing. And you take one of those two away from each other and they're probably not the same player. Again, as we saw with Gabriel last season when Saliba got injured, you could see he missed him massively and just didn't just look nervous, more nervous without Saliba at his side. We haven't even mentioned Ben White. I think there's yeah. almost this sort of perverse satisfaction of overpay, feeling like you're overpaying for players like White and Ramsdale and Saliba at the time uh, and them just being like, oh yeah, 50 million bargain. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not been cheap, but the money that Arsenal have spent has been so well spent over the last few years. And uh, it's a very fun way to build your squad through smart signings and kids from Hale End. I like it. Do more yeah. of that, Arsenal. Yeah, there have been a few notable exceptions, of course, with that when it comes to money being spent. But William doesn't quite crack the top five yeah, on the whole, nor Nicholas Pepe. But on, on the whole, there uh, there have been more hits and misses, and if that's how you operate with recruitment. You're going to be all right if you have more hits and misses because there's always going to be misses, but you need plenty of hits as well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Right, let's sort of move away a little bit from the weekend's game, first of all. And let's quickly talk about this now. I'm Bakai Saka, who... What was the point? of England dragging him to St. George's Park to test his injury. I mean, I just don't, I don't get it in a way. I mean, do they just, is there a real 
breakdown in trust there. Surely, you know, he didn't play against Manchester City in Arsenal's biggest game of the season. Mm. I just don't I just don't see the point. I mean, obviously the correct decision has been made now and he's come back and he's withdrawn from the squad. I just don't I just don't get why you have to drag him all the way to St George's Park to make that decision. It just seems really, really strange to me. And having done the uh, St George's Park from London journey in the past, that is not it's not a six hour round trip to do some medical tests, you know, like I, I think there would also be got a hamstring problem as well. Exactly. I think there would almost be an argument if because I know this was something that might have been considered if Saka had sort of been very close to full fitness, didn't need a huge amount of rehab work, and obviously decent chances available for Chelsea. But if you just wanted to have him around the squad, uh, okay, talk to me. I know that, that there is value to that. And of course, England have their eyes set on big prizes. But if you're just going to send him straight back to Colney, just trust these Arsenal doctors. It's not like Arsenal have a track record of pulling the wool over England's eyes. I've no, I, I don't know of an occasion where Arsenal have, have fob, fobbed up or like inflated injuries and you've seen these players turning up for, for Arsenal the day after international duty ends or whatever. It just You've got to trust that Arsenal are making the right decisions for this guy's career because that's what they have to think about. You know, They didn't play Saka when maybe they could have gambled. I think kind of the way Arteta was saying it was... He's in the mix, you know, when, when you're saying that, you wonder, could they have taken a bit of a swing at having Saka on the bench? But they know that they've got his long-term career to think about. And so should England. And just like, there's got to be some trust here. Um, and it means it, it's just damaging and stupid and, and unhelpful. And it's not like England are short on options, even if there's no, no one that's going to say. And it's not like Saka, especially given this is Italy at Wembley, and it's Saka, and it's, you know, this guy is not someone that would have turned down England if he really didn't think it was the right thing for for him. You know, he he wants to play for England. He wants to play every game he can. So what a waste of a day. Mm. Stupid. Yeah, it really, really was. What did you think uh, um, on Sunday when the team came out? Because obviously it was, it seemed to be as we got closer and closer to Sunday that Saka might actually be fit and could actually feature in this game. Then obviously it sort of emerged just before the team news that he wasn't involved, he wasn't with the squad. When you kind of looked at that team going up against Manchester City, I know you've got a question actually about this that someone sent in, haven't you, about Arsenal winning this game without um, without Saka and what that could mean. I mean, if you find that... Um... That's, top, that's top hosting there, Charles, I have to say. I'll bring it up now, yeah. Louis... Uh with three E's and then three number fours after Louis asks, and you can answer this as well, but we both will. How significant do you think it is to win a massive game without Saka? Because I don't remember the last time they did. No, well, it's been about 10 years since they played a game without Saka, isn't it? Um, Yeah, or it feels like that. Yeah, and and I I do think that's a really key point, isn't it? That Arsenal did win this game without Bukai Saka. You know, he is Arsenal's key man. If Arsenal's scoring a goal, he's, he's... there's a very good chance Saka is scoring it or he's setting it up. You know, he's that important to this team. So to go into it without him, I was, it did sort of knock the stuffing out of me a little bit on when we were all, me and a few mates were drinking up on Blackstock Road and a few of the pubs around there um, ahead of the game. And, you know, when it sort of filtered out that he wasn't going to be involved, you know, in the sort of hour leading up to that, we'd all be like, yeah, he's going to play, he's going to play, he's going to play. Then suddenly mm. it's like, oh, he's out. And it did, you know, you could feel it. People were just like, oh no, Saka's not playing. This is this is a big, big thing. And because we are so reliant on him, we've become so reliant on him. So to to actually get out there and win that game without Bukayo Saka, I do think it is a really big thing for Arsenal psychologically. 
you know, it just shows to them and it proves to them that as good as he is and as important he is, he's not absolutely essential. Arsenal can do it. And it might be a really big thing for Mikel Arteta that as well, not just the players, but for Mikel Arteta's sort of thinking when he's picking a team, if Saka does have a slight injury, might sort of resist the urge to think I'm going to play him anyway and actually allow him a little bit more time to rest. Because I think we've all felt that he, you know, he does need to give him a little bit more time to, to rest at times, doesn't he? A hundred percent. And um, I, I think Arteta will take that on board, not least because, you know, the guy that, that stepped in and, and filled that role, we know he's done it before for Man City, but Gabriel Jesus off the right was sensational. Mm. Like it, it was enough to make you wonder if there's interesting things that can be done when Saka, when all three of them are available, how can that be used differently in the future? Whether that's, you know, we always see Jesus drifting over to Martinelli's flank. Now I'm like, God, I want to get Jesus out there as well. And Saka can move in field on, you know, on occasion. Um, and it just unlocks as I, I felt like Nketiah didn't have his best game, of course, but then Havertz coming on and doing really well. It felt like this was a game to unlock a few possibilities in the Arsenal attack of how you could build things in the future. It definitely feels like if Saka, like you say, is is 50-50, stick Bukayo on the bench. Let's have a look at a front front three of Havertz, Martinelli, Jesus. Um, it, it felt, and, and from that perspective, that for me was the sort of real triumph of this. I know it shouldn't be news because he did it so well for City, but that Jesus is there as a real good right-wing option, it just means you're a little less anxious about what's available in uh, in January and having to make that move just because you feel like you're a forward light if Jesus can play everywhere and you're not maybe as light as options on options as you thought you were. Yeah, I thought he was really good, like you said. I, and I've been saying in the build-up to the game, I wanted to see him on the right. He did it a little bit at the end of last season. We saw it start to see it more when Saka and him were there. He'd start playing over on the right a bit. And I did wonder if that was something we we're going to see more and more this season. Obviously, injuries and... You know, circumstances. We, I don't think if Martinelli, Saka, and Jesus started a game this season together. I don't think they have, have they? Did they? They didn't start Everton. Oh, because Martinelli was off early for that one. Martinelli, yeah, mate. No, did Eddie play it? No, mate, or maybe they did. Yeah, maybe. But even then, you're talking like game. twenty minutes, aren't you? Yeah, because Martinelli went off early for now. Yeah, so um, but yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Jesus on the right, and it is definitely. I think he's Arsenal's best option on the right. Saka's not there. I think that's. They didn't pretty... start the Everton game either, by the way. Sorry, they didn't. Yeah, so they haven't started a single game yet. Arsenal's front three haven't started a single game together yet. Hopefully, that will change at Stamford Bridge after the uh, international break. But um, I think Jesus is definitely Arsenal's best best option on the right, and the fact that Arsenal have now won this game without Saka, and they do have the option of potentially playing Jesus over there knowing it can work very, very well and either having Eddie or Havertz who, you know, to Havertz's credit, I thought he, he, he made a big, big impact when he came on. Every single time I've seen Havertz play as a nine or as a false nine, whatever you want to call it, I think he's done very, very well. Whenever he's played as a left eight, he's just been pretty anonymous. And I hope <laughs> Isn't that the relief though of like, you don't have to like worry that the guy just has lost the ability to play football. Yeah. It feels like what it is there now is is maybe... This is just, he's got to learn this new position and that's going to take a while, but at least you can get something out of Havertz as that nine, false nine, whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Right, let's quickly move on to a question I've got here um, from Proletus, who says, Hello, Charles, appreciate your content. Here's a question for you and James. I watched the Norwegian broadcast of the game and Norwegian commentators and pundits obviously keep a close eye on Odegaard. After the game, they pointed out that when the crowd was getting a bit impatient with Raya, 
taking time on the ball and playing short. Martin gestured to them as if to say, calm down, this is part of the plan. Did you pick up on that at all? And does his crowd interaction in general Good really question. play any relevant part? Again, he is very much a cheerleader, Martin Odegaard. You see he it. He's all, of all of them, he is one who's constantly in sort of conversation with the crowd, as in by his movements and what he's doing and geeing them up. I didn't, I didn't notice this. I, I did see that. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't notice that. Um, but I'm not surprised at all that, that he was doing that and he was trying to calm down. You see it time and time again, don't you, Odegaard? He's very he's very influential in trying to sort of get to the crowd and get them going and, and that sort of stuff. Especially in this game, um, that there was that one moment and then there was a moment about the half hour where the Emirates has just gone quiet and and you do see him do this anytime there's a throw in and the Emirates is just nervy. It's simple that in the direction of the West Stand and it works every time. Um I don't think that's the limits of his leadership. We saw what no. he was uh, like against Brentford, but it's like, it's definitely something before the armband. I had absolutely no idea we were going to get that from Martin Erdegaard. Um, but then I suppose the thing I would say is what we did know about Erdegaard, he's very serious, studious. And if you ask him to do something, it will be done excellently. So whilst I don't really get the impression he's a, a Tony Adams uh, you know, the Martin Keown, you know, or even a Vieira. I think he, he he obviously understands that's what's needed from him as captain of Arsenal. And so he does it. I don't know if it's like, I'd love to ask. I'd love to ask the question of Erdegaard and the people that, that know him well, if if that's his personality type off the pitch. But when he's on it, you know, he's he's leading, not just by example, but he's leading in that classic English way. Um, and I really, I respect that from him. Cool. Right, you got one question from me. Yes, I have. I have several. I really liked uh, this one though. This is from Aro Freak Ollie S. Oh God, people just do normal names on Twitter. Uh, but this is really interesting. I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Actually, wanting to ask Tommy about this for a while, but um, hasn't haven't had the chance. With Tommy Asu's performances this season and his contract running out in 2025. Would you think about giving him a new contract or would he be someone you would try and sell next summer due to his fitness issues? I'd give him a new contract. <laughs> 100%. I think he'd be mad to let, to let Tommy Asu go. I think he's a fabulous player. Really, really good. He can play right back, centre back, left back. <laughs> Judging by Sunday, he can play left eight <laughs> midfield as well. <laughs> yes. um, and um, uh, yeah, I just think he's a brilliant player. He's young still. Yes, he's had fitness issues, but you know, fingers crossed that he can show this season again that he can, you know, he can go play a large chunk of games. He did it last season. I mean, like, mm. until that injury against Sporting, which was a little bit different, it wasn't like a muscle injury. That was just a really freak, unlucky injury, wasn't it, that he got against the Sporting that ruled him out for the season. But up to that point, I think, it, you know, his injury record up to then wasn't that bad for last season, as far as I can recall. And yeah, I'd wonder, I would not think about selling. What's the point? You'd have to bring in a player who can do all of those roles. You'd have to settle in. I, just, it wouldn't make it even with Timber coming back. It wouldn't make any sense to me. I'd one hundred percent get him to sign a new deal. Completely, wholeheartedly agree with you. If he wants to stay as the fifth or sixth defender, and I do think that's probably the kind of where he's he's at. He will start lots of games because the minute Jeremy Doc, the minute Jeremy Doku was on, I don't know if you saw this. Tommy Ass is down, like yeah. you know Martinelli style, like vum. He knows what happens when Doku comes on, and there will always be a like significant role for him i agree with you like the fitness thing you've got to take with a pinch of salt because also 
if you're in and out of the team, in and out, and not getting like regular minutes every week, which which Tommy Asi wasn't because he'd come back from injury, work up and then get knocked again. That's that's when you get injured the most. So I think if Arsenal can manage him, if he's happy staying, because the one thing I would say is if he turns around to Arteta and says, look, you know, I could be the starter at a really good team uh, in right, at right back, centre back, left back, wherever, you couldn't judge him, could you? But if he wants to stay, that contract should be uh, should be right in front of him as as soon as he wants to sign it. I'd, I'd love to have him around. A, a good presence in the uh, in the locker room as well, and uh, always always good in the mix zone, which I like. Yeah. Yeah, and to be fair, he's always like, he's pretty much 12th man, I would say, at Arsenal. Mm. He's like the first sub pretty much every single time Mikel will turn. If it's not an attacking sub, you know, out of necessity for how the game's working out, it's normally always Tommy Asu. He is the first one. He'll come on every game. So it's not like he's a bit part player. He is a hugely important Mm. player in this team. And when he's fit, he plays lots and lots of minutes. So, yeah, I 100% new deal for him. Okay, here's one from K Jags. It says, Hi, James and Charles. Can I ask your opinion on a few players who recently seem to have fallen out of favour? Kivior, Ramsdale, Nelson, Smithrow. Out of these players, who do you expect could be the most likely to leave? Mm, it's probably Smithrow. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say that Kivior's fallen entirely out of favour. I mean, he's got starts this season. Well, yeah, it's it's for me. It's 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 Smithrow and and Ramsdale, but I'll I'll, I'll stick to Smithrow to give you options. Um, it, it's just it just doesn't feel like it's going to to happen. Uh, I know that again. This was another game where it's not natural to turn to Emil Smithrow off the bench, but now that Arsenal are getting towards a full strength squad, he's just not a player that Arteta is going to view as being in the top sixteen. Um, and he's good enough that he's gonna. He will eventually conclude that has to come somewhere else. I I just fear that Arsenal and Arteta, if they don't manage this right, will end up in the same position as, as or a similar position to what they were with Kieran Tierney, um, where they t- turned an asset that that could have been worth fifty million into an asset that that's worth half of that. Um, give him his game time, but like it's really hard right now to sort of see what, where, what the scenario is where Smithrow is signing another contract at Arsenal um, and all those things that seemed inevitable only a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just, you don't really see how it pans out long-term any other way at the moment, unless something remarkable happens and a couple of injuries happen and he gets his chance and he just kind of does what Martinelli did almost and forces his way into the team and then made it impossible. But you look at the way Arteta plays now, the system Arsenal play, clearly he doesn't really fancy him as that left eight option because if he did, <laughs> there seems to be yeah. a gaping hole there for him to be used in, but he's not being used. So um, I hope it doesn't pan out like that, but the longer it goes on, the more it, it kind of, you get that inevitable feel for it. And yeah, it'll be a big, big shame if it does happen. I think Ramsdale as well. It's just, it doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel sort of tenable, this situation, does it? It's like, He's not going to stick around. He's just not going to stick around. I think he will for the season. I don't think Arsenal would even entertain letting him go in January. It'd be madness. But come the end of the season with the Euros coming up as well, it's just, I just don't don't get it. I don't don't really see how he's not going to sit on the bench next season, is he? Again, it just feels almost inevitable that that situation is going to happen uh, at some point. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the only thing I would wonder is I think this would probably have to be like 
a very specific set of circumstances where Pickford is ruled out of the Euros um, through injury before January. You half wonder then if sort of Ramsdale would at all push, but like like you say, like that's a one in a million scenario. From he, an Arsenal he, point of view, you just wouldn't consider it though in January, would you? you no. Just it just it wouldn't make any sense whatsoever to do that no, in exactly. January. Exactly, and and time's on his side long term. But um, mm. I mean, the other scenario would be if if things happen with David Raya. But like, I certainly don't think Ramsdale and Raya will be there, and it's clear who Arteta favours. Yeah, I right. mean, maybe Ram, Ramsdale. I mean, Raya. You know, if he struggles, doesn't manage to settle, starts making mistakes, then yeah, you might end up back at Brentford, and then Ramsdale will be number one. But um, I don't really see Raya doing that. I know he had a bit of a nervous start against City at the weekend, but you know, I fully expect him to establish himself as this season progresses and um, I'd be surprised if he ends up back at Brentford in the, uh, in the summer. Exactly. Right. Mohamed Memon. Uh, hi, James and Charles. I'm adding you in because I'm asking you the question. Would like to ask whether we need to sign a striker in Tony this January or Neto as a Saka alternative, which would you prefer? I'll say like a striker or a wide option. So say that again, who would I prefer a striker? or a right In January. Winner? Yeah. Saka backup. A striker, I think, because we've just talked about Jesus' potential backup for Saka, and then you could almost have Jesus on if you need it, and a striker. Um, I, I, oh, I'm talking myself out of that now. The more I'm saying it, yeah, <laughs> quite hard. Um, this one. Can we can we just have both? Can we just shell out 150 million in January and just and just uh, have both? Um, but I think both of those need to be signed over the next two windows, whether one of them comes, you know, whether it's a striker in January and then a right winger in the summer or whether it's a right winger in January and then a striker in the summer. I think those two positions both need to be filled in the next two windows. So I don't really care. I don't think I have a preference about which one comes in first in January in terms of what it means to the season um, because Saka tends to be fit. So he tends to play. I know he's obviously out at the moment, but he will, be fit for the majority of this season, touch wood. And if he's not, Jesus is an option there. So I'd, I'd probably still stick my neck out and say a striker, actually, the more I think about it. I, w- I would go for, I think if something's going to get Arsenal over the line to win in the title this season, it probably would be a new, another striking option in, in January. Yeah, it's a tough one because like you say, like you've got to think about are Arsenal in the title race and would the half a dozen goals of Ivan Tony, let's say, swing it. If that's the case, you know, let's let let's say striker. But I I kind of look at it and we've had obviously this discussion before. I want the marquee striker for Arsenal, the superstar, whether that's a player to to be groomed into that or the guy straight away who kind of displaces or rivals Jesus in the eleven. And I just don't think those players are available in January. Whereas I think you can get a very good back up to Saka in January. Maybe not Pedro Neto because Wolves are going to need that kid to stay up. Um, but like, yeah, I'd, I'd rather pick up that squad. And I think generally the January window is probably when you should be looking to get your squad players. And Arsenal did that very, very well last season with Trossard and uh, Jorginho. And I'd be looking for a sort of Trossard, Jorginho level player to uh, to plug in and, and play where, uh, where Saka cannot you're such an Ivan Tony hater, aren't you? You, you don't yeah, like yeah. Ivan Tony. <laughs> you really don't like Ivan Tony. I just Tony. want Ossiman, man. I just want Ossiman. <laughs> right. Um, here's one from Vet Para. It says, Hi, Charles James. There is lots of talk about Arsenal signing an out and out striker next year. However, 
With Jorginho getting on and party approaching the end of his contract, as well as being quite prone to injuries, surely more defensively minded midfield cover is as important. Who are the defensive minded midfielders you would be looking at? Also, I thought Rice was superb as the left eight against City. Do you think we'll see more of Rice next to party and Jorginho now? Yeah, this is one of those uh, questions that Arsenal are going to have to start asking a lot and it's going to be really tough. And it's the one we talk about with Saka. How on earth are you going to sign a good defensive midfielder when Declan Rice is in your squad and he's 24 and he is one of the best players in the world already at that? Um, The answer is you're going to be signing players like Partey and Jorginho that know they're coming in maybe, uh, you know, in their late 20s, 30s. They know that they're coming in to, to serve as reliable 7 out of 10 when Partey, when Rice doesn't play players. Is that or you kind of pick the guy that you're going to groom for after Rice retires? But that's so far off into the future. Yeah. You know, you're, you're buying a 15-year-old then or something. So I think it has to be, and that's why, and, I, and I'll, throw the, I'll throw my final question to you because it's similar as well from uh, Rome BBN. When is the right time to look? to think of a Partey replacement. He was good when he came on against City, but he's usually out 40% of the season. So, I mean, we're both going to answer similar questions here. And I just think, you know, if it's, I mean, Jorginho, there's an option to extend. Um, If he sort of carries on in the vein he did on Sunday, like I I think Arsenal will give very serious consideration to that option. His salary is pretty reasonable as well for a player of his his reputation i think that's what you're going to have for a long time veterans experienced players that you probably might have to pay quite a bit of money but you might not pay a big transfer fee for but that you just know can give you something uh when you want to rest rice um or indeed you know play someone next to him because by god that midfield looked hard to break down when Mm. when either of those were next to rice i don't know i mean arteta does always talk about having two top players in each position what do you think yeah, well, I think um, I think what you, you're saying about sort of more, more experienced players being the backup option makes sense, I think, because if you're not playing too much and you won't be if Declan Rice is in that team, um, I think to sort of come in a little bit cold, you've got more chance of doing that when you know the game and you're really, really experienced like Jorginho, as he did against City. Um, so, and I don't... I, I would have liked someone like Lavia... Uh, at Southampton, yeah. I thought would have been a would have been a good option, but I can see why you know that didn't happen this summer. But that would have been a good a good option potentially to do it. But um, yeah, it's going to be really tough for Arsenal. I do think the time to think about parties exit will be this summer. Pure, and I I don't know if I would do it, but I think it's certainly something that Arsenal will think about. Given his contract is only a year left, given his age, given his injury record, if a good offer comes in for him. And it's kind of similar to what last summer was, wasn't it? Yeah. We, we knew it was, they would be open to it if something, you know, really came in that was tempting. I think that will be the case again this season, um, this summer. But there is also a, a thought in my mind of like, if if one doesn't come in, is it just worth party, you know, just, you know, biting a bullet, admitting you're not going to get any sort of, um, you know, sell on sort of money for party and, you know, keeping him, giving him a new contract for another two or three years and just basically keep him here till he's 34 and, and stuff like that because he could still be, you know, 34 is not that old for a midfielder and he could still be a very good option. So I think there is definitely time to start con- to think about it. 
from a football point of view and from a business point of view if a good offer arrives. But I wouldn't be rushing to cash in on Thomas Pye in the summer because I still think he's got a lot to give. And, I, and I'll just bring that question back up, actually, because he said at the end of it, that, that Parry, you know, also, I thought Rice was superb in the left eight against City. Do you think we'll see more of that sort of Rice with Party Georgia now? I do think we will. I think that's mm. you know, a really interesting option that Rice's arrival brought to Arsenal in the summer of playing that, especially in these big games like we saw at the weekend when you want to get a little bit more control in the midfield. You know, you think about when Arsenal go to Anfield or to the Etihad or St. James's, play, places like that this season or big games away in the Champions League knockout stages. Touch with the Arsenal get there. You'd love to have a midfield, including Rice and Party in that same in that same midfield in terms of what that will bring you in those big, big games. Yeah, I think that's the one thing I maybe didn't appreciate in my initial answer is that, like, yeah, Rice is so good as a left eight. And f- for all we know, like, especially you see the Rice of, like, his final season at West Ham, he was developing into a player whose best position, like, you know, there's a, there's a trajectory for him, isn't there, where he's just better as a left eight. And then you... You know, you make that. I think. I think what they'll need is four top tier options. You know, four high level starters, so that you mix and match, like you say. And it's some games where it's Rice and two. You know, an Erdegaard and, a, and an offensive eight, and then yeah, City come into town, and you just go, uh, yeah, we're playing. We're playing our big guys and playing our our strong midfield. Um, that's the joy of having someone as good as Declan Rice. It opens up avenues for you because play him at centre-back play him anywhere I'm, I'm sure he would be decent out on the left wing if he had to play there yeah. he spends quite a lot of time out there yeah oh, he's such a good player he's such a good player so he can play absolutely anywhere okay got one last one here from Courtney who says question for you and James last season the Ashburton Army seemed to really have impetus in the transform transformative crowd atmosphere now they've had their adaptive space in the stadium, sort of cut, can you feel a difference in the atmosphere? And Ashburn Army, they had their sort of numbers cut by half, I think, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, this season, I think they had a, a few hundred maybe last season. It's down to under, under 200 now. Is it 100 now? Um, and it's tough because obviously where you're sitting, you're closer to the Ashburn Army now, like obviously where I was last season. But where I'm sitting in the, sta- in the stadium, I'm on the other side of the away fan, so I get the away fan noise a lot more. So, mm. so you know, it's not quite as apparent, but... You know, and I wasn't there for Fulham. And so the games I've been there for, obviously, United, Spurs and Man City, yeah. just huge atmospheres anyway because of the nature of the opponent, you know, how big the games were and, and stuff like that. So I think it will become more apparent. And even the um, Champions League game as well, the way that panned yeah. out, the scoreline, the fact it was party atmosphere because it was the first game back in the Champions League. I think, you know, once we've got, you know, say, Bournemouth at home and Luton at home and those sort of games, that'll be interesting to see how how much of an impact because there was talk after the Fulham game um it was a bit it, flat it was a little bit flat as well and it was noticeable that you know the Ashburnett army weren't able to sort of kick start the atmosphere in the way they did last season which is a shame because they were brilliant last season and it may and I know there's been issues and um, you hear from both sides you get different sides of the stories about those issues but um you know just from a purely atmospheric point of view they were brilliant last season mm. they made such a huge impact in in what the Emirates was like yeah, I always find like, especially for myself, now that you're in the in in the true ground, it doesn't really count. But I always find wading into stadium politics when you're there on your free seat, uh, not always the most helpful. But what I would say is, I mean, like you said, we've probably had one generic Premier League game at the Emirates this season, that Fulham game, because 
Forest, it's the opening day. You kind of scratch that off, and then you've listed all the others. So I'm looking at what's cut to come. You've got Sheffield United. The next three home games are, there's hardly any of them, but Sheffield United at home, Sevilla at home, Burnley at home, Lons, Wolves. It'll be a while before the Emirates is really, you know, you're getting towards Christmas before the next big day at the Emirates. So that's kind of when we'll work out what impact cutting back the Ashburton armies had. I, what I would say, my immediate thought though, is that what they achieved post lockdown was sort of so profound that it almost forced the Emirates itself to change. And maybe like their greatest impact will have been in the past because Arsenal fans are all, you know, the, the chants don't come from the Ashburton army anymore. They come from around the ground. There is energy. And of course, the Ashburton Army are crucial in sort of getting that going and there always be noise coming from them. But like, you don't have the uh, n constant pinging in your Apple Watch or whatever of 95 decibels because of 100 guys sat in the, uh, in the clock end. They've changed or helped to change how the Emirates Stadium understands itself. I don't think fans now go there expecting to be entertained. They go there to create an atmosphere and to mm. help the team. And a, the Ashburton Army deserves a, a good chunk of credit for that. Um, so, yeah, I, the answer to, obviously, the question is we don't really know yet. But my theory is that the the great work the Ashburton Army ha, has has done in the past probably has got us to a stage where they're less important than they were this time two years ago when Arsenal needed to build something in their stadium. Emirates Stadium right now, and you and I used to go there, didn't we, before COVID? It was, there were completely grim days i think even now if you go for sheffield united at home i know it's going to be a good game it'll be a good atmosphere and uh, that's credit to the ashburton army it is yeah and everyone talks about it now where who go there you know you'll hear you speak to other people in the media commentators and stuff like that and they will say it's just a completely different atmosphere now and it is you know it's so so loud do you remember and... we used to think it was just it couldn't happen everyone was like oh yeah they built the stadium wrong like it, it definitely wasn't that. It definitely like, wasn't the stadium, no. And that's been certainly been proven in the last last year or so, one hundred percent. Right, what are we up to? An hour and three minutes. I think that's more than adequate time to uh, call a stop on this one. So we've got another week of international football now. Ugh. I don't know. It's, I said this in my show this morning. The last international break, Arsenal went into it on the back of that Man United win, and now they've gone into the back of it and the yeah. City win. And in a way, you're like, oh, brilliant! We can sort of enjoy this win for a couple of weeks but then you get a day into an international break and you're just like oh for god's sake <laughs> just bring the premier league back and there's not even going to be any arsenal players to watch in the international break because it's a good thing i haven't heard about trossard yet if that's confirmed or not if trossard's not going but yeah he's out of the squad he's definitely yeah, out of the squad isn't he? so that's good so you've got well, again, out, Sack, Sack yeah, out, trossard out saliba out you know Arteta's getting better at this now, isn't it's he? Good. International breaks, put them all out, get them all out. William Saliba on nine toes. We haven't nine even said toes. that. He did it on nine toes. On nine toes. That's how good he is. That is how good he is. <laughs> Lovely. All right, mate. Look, it's been great. Thank you very much for that. My voice has actually held up surprisingly well, which is uh, another good thing. We'll be back. What are we going to do Tuesday next week again? Yeah, we can preview England, Italy. Preview England, Italy. I'm not sure we're going to have people tuning in too much for that. <laughs> channel. We'll have to find something Arsenal related to talk about as we head up to that Chelsea game. I'm not going to be at Chelsea, actually. I'm in, um, I'm in Frankfurt. I'm talking. I'm a guest speaker at the World Book Fair in Frankfurt. Oh, cool. On the day That's of really the fun. Chelsea game, talking about the book and uh, the 
given an England perspective ahead of the Euros as well, which, which should be interesting. Were you there for the Were you there for the Europa League game? It's a nice town, Frankfurt, especially when the weather's nice. I was there. Yeah, it was Saka's um, Saka's moment, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, I was there for that. It was a fun trip. A fun trip. Um, so yeah, but hopefully we'll be talking about that Chelsea game next week as we gear up to that. Another big game. Feels like there's big games all the time at the moment. Um, but cheers, mate. Thanks for your time. Have a good week. Cheers. Thanks for having me. I'll like speak to you very much. What do you mean, thanks for having you? You're part of the show. I know. Mate. Yeah. I don't know why oh, I said that. You're part of the show. <laughs> All right. I'll speak to you soon, mate. Take it easy. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 